Hello and welcome to VR Download. I'm Ian Hamilton coming to you from Virtual Reality. Let's get into the news now with my co-host, David Heaney. What do we have coming up today? We've got some interesting topics to talk about. We've got Valve's iFixit partnership for index replacement parts. We've got to talk about the changes Microsoft just made to Altspace VR for a safer space. We have Meta revealing Horizon's user base figures for the first time and a $2,700 Linux standalone headset. And at the end, we'll talk about Nintendo's recent comments on the metaverse and their plans, and we'll speculate a little bit about what we think Nintendo could do in this space in the short and the long term. Thank you to, to Les Mills for sponsoring our podcast today. Les Mills Body Combat has 30 workouts designed for great to, designed to get results from beginners to advanced users. The game brings the body combat experience to your VR headset. Get it on the Oculus Store today by clicking the link in the description. Let's get right into the news now. Our first subject is that Valve officially marked Steam VR games as unsupported on Steam Deck. So Valve has been going through and tagging those games as unsupported. And we've we've known this is coming, but what is the significance of this, Heaney? Was this unexpected? I don't think this was unexpected at all because a few months back when the Steam Deck was announced, we heard Valve say that while technically this thing can play VR games, it's not the performance is not designed for that. The system is not optimized for that. And that's this is not being billed as a VR PC in any sense. So Valve is using this compatibility system where they're marking games on Steam based on how well they'll run on the Steam Deck. And they've just to be just to be completely clear to customers and buyers, they've decided to mark all VR games as unsupported. Because while the Steam Deck is an impressive piece of hardware and it can run the biggest AAA games, it does that by using a, a slightly above 720p screen. And so you can't just take that same trick of running at a very low resolution and bring it over to VR because VR is inherently a lot higher resolution than these standard displays. And if you try to run it at a low resolution, it'll just be blurry because you're trying to achieve such a, a large field of view that you need a high resolution to make the actual angular resolution good enough for things to look clear. So I think we'll get into some of these things later in the show since we've got uh, those thing, other things to talk about that you mentioned. But there is a core question here, Heaney, that I, I really wanted to dive into here where I feel like one of the one of the big drawbacks to PC VR is it's so hard to hit the minimum spec or, or to find a system that will reliably give you a great experience across all VR games, or at least the vast majority of PC VR games. I guess I'm wondering if Steam Deck gives Valve any kind of a path to establishing a new minimum specification for VR apps on PC. Do, do you see that having any kind of an effect over the, the long term here? Well, it's it's an interesting idea because fundamentally we do have to remember that this thing is more powerful than a Quest 2 and Quest 2 runs a lot of the popular PC VR games that have been ported over to it. So the obvious question there is, of course, why can't this run those same games? And to kind of get to what you're maybe hinting at here, Valve could decide to push developers towards releasing optimized, highly optimized versions of all of these main titles like Beat Saber, etc., that runs well on the Steam Deck. And they could use that as the basis of a future standalone platform. And if they're going to release a standalone headset at any point in the future, they're going to need to do that anyway. You, there's no conceivable path in the near term where you can just take the Steam VR library as it is today and put it on a standalone headset. There would need to be a, a porting that is extremely similar to what developers have done to port to Quest. But the question is, does Valve actually want to do that with the Steam Deck, which is going to you know, maybe ship a few million units and maybe a certain percentage of those units are people who own a VR headset? Are they going to go to all that effort yet, or will they just wait for the standalone headset to arrive? If it is something that they're planning to do, developers could at least use this as a development kit in the meantime, as a kind of useful, it's a mobile chip that's ready to be used in this kind of context. But again, I really think we'll need to wait for Valve to actually make a concrete announcement that they are working on a standalone headset for any of any serious developer adoption because developers they have limited time they have to decide where they want to put their resources and how they want to plan and you, it's not really going to be a good use of time to optimize for a hypothetical platform that may or may not exist and then of course valve's 
marquee game here, Half-Life Alex, is going to be so far removed from like running on this type of hardware. Like, is there any conceivable universe where they use things like reprojection on a system to like? I mean, I, I don't even know how that would work on a Steam Deck, but like, Half-Life Alex is never going to run solely off of this hardware, right? So. If you get the mod that turns Half-Life Alex into a non-VR game that you can play with a mouse and keyboard or these controls and you run it at you know just above 720p, sure, you can play Half-Life Alex on this. But it comes back to that same problem. Can you run it in VR? No, simply because you have to push a much higher resolution than this system is designed to push. This is an incredibly impressive system for a handheld, but it's essentially a mid-range laptop, a mid-range gaming laptop. And that's not something that you can push a high fidelity experience like Alex out of. And yes, we could see things like motion reprojection used to make it easier, but that's something we see on Quest 2 with its application Space Warp. And while that lets developers up the fidelity level from the kind of PS2 graphics that we're used to on Quest 2, it's not going to sort of fill in the gulf all the way to Half-Life Alex. That's just Mm -hmm. a game that was designed around the PC and it was designed at a time when Valve was being very clear that its vision of VR is a PC because it sees that the fidelity that's really needed to deliver the immersive experiences that it wants to, like Half-Life Alex, simply require that level of performance. And this is something that Gabe actually spoke about a lot when the Vive was on sale, when he was kind of more publicly interested in VR and talking about VR. And so even if we do see Valve go with a standalone in future, that will be a massive strategy shift from the kind of VR that Valve's been trying to push for years and, and the minimum quality bar that they have been talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get into the second subject here because it's uh, sort of related in an odd way to what's going on here, where uh, Valve Index replacement parts are now available on iFixit. Why is this happening, Heaney, three years after Index first shift? And what can we sort of infer uh, from this move? So I think what's interesting with this move is how little detail there is so far. All we know is that Valve Index replacement parts will be available from iFixit, which is a website that offers repair guides and sells repair kits and components for consumer electronics like smartphones and tablets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Valve says that they are still hammering out the details and will be sharing more info on this soon. So it, the, the detail is really what matters here because... The index shipped in mid-2019, but two years later, halfway through last year, 2021, Valve started selling individual controllers. You could only buy them in a pair before and started selling the cable, which is really, really critical because if you have a, a wired headset with a proprietary cable, you have to sell a replacement cable. This is something that Facebook didn't do for the Rift for quite a while and, and took a lot of completely justified flack. So it was great that Valve did that, but what what we have to ask here is when they say replacement parts from iFixit, are they just talking about that controller and that cable? Or are they talking about components like the thumbsticks and the controllers that we've seen a lot of people talk about having a, a pretty bad failure rate? Or is it things like lenses? Is it individual speaker modules? What kind of components is are going to be offered here? And based on that answer, really will say a lot about the useful lifespan of the index because if they are able to really offer components that typically feel this is a headset that will be able to keep being used by some people for years and years but the kind of interesting thing about them doing this now almost three years into the index life is it sort of indicates to me that they don't have a successor coming anytime soon that i could be completely off base here but it seems like if you're going to start offering replacement parts for your product three years in it doesn't sound like there's a successor on the horizon Mm, I like your wording there. That's very clever. But yeah, I, I do really wonder what Valve's path forward is. There are so many different elements playing into the situation. Valve is a very small company in terms of employee base. They have to contract out a lot of their work in order to scale up and really reach these numbers. And what we're seeing here is such a big effort with Steam Deck. And I, I just I do wonder if they can get an install base of several million over there on Steam Deck, how that can kind of shift the market two years out for a follow-on. And to your point, so many people still rely on their original Vive from 2016. It It is a workhorse machine to so many people out there. 
but it is also being overshadowed by a larger market that is achievable when you go completely standalone and, and have no external requirements needed to, to have a great VR experience. And so the question is whether like Valve is going to move on everyone else's timeline or they're going to move on on Valve time, of course. Hello, everyone in our comments on Akazi, Bicycle, Bertie, everyone else. Thank you so much. Let's move right on to the next one here. We've got Microsoft removing public social hubs from Altspace VR. This is almost half a decade after Microsoft acquired the social VR platform Altspace. Microsoft decided to implement some major changes last week aimed at making it a safer space. Why is this happening now, Heaney, instead of five years ago when Microsoft first acquired Altspace? Well, I think it's quite clear that it's happening now because in the last year, we've obviously seen this metaverse idea become a buzzword, and then it was promoted so heavily by Zuckerberg that there's now intense press scrutiny on the kind of interactions that take place in these metaverse platforms. And we've seen in the past few months several kind of exposés where a journalist will go into you know, Horizon or Altspace and so we've heard of very legitimate issues that people are encountering, like harassment. And so Microsoft is obviously wanting to get ahead of the game. And where a lot of that bad press is currently on Meta's Horizon platform, simply because of Zuckerberg promoting this idea so heavily, they want to make sure that the next article isn't about Altspace VR and that they kind of realize, wait a minute, we have the same thing and we could have the exact same kind of media problem. And Allspace isn't anywhere near of a big enough business to Microsoft that it would make sense for them to kind of protect it and not put these features in because the cost to them reputationally of an article like that is much higher than the kind of annoyance of power users that they're taking out these core features and making things like safety bubbles and muting the default. But I, I do think it's a really big shame to see something like the campfire space go out because that's something that's been in alt space for a very, very long time where you'd come in and one of the first public hubs you're in is this kind of open forest with a campfire in front of you and you can pick up marshmallows on a stick and roast them. And it was a way that people got introduced to the app. It's the way that a lot of PAR users would kind of welcome new users. And obviously you're going to get problems with trolls and people harassing like in many online spaces but microsoft's gone for a very kind of brutal response here of we'll just kill all of our social public experiences you have to now just go into someone else's managed public experience or a private room yeah so last week i was broadcasting with uh, jamie here from our studio and we somehow triggered the uh, DRM content moderation policies for some visual content that we showed on Stevie the TV for the Foo Fighters. And our stream got blocked briefly. And we're like, it was a surprise to us that even without audio, we were still subject to that moderation system. And I accidentally used the word uh, censorship when I, when I described that. And it's not censorship. It's not censorship. It's moderation. It's uh, a company acting on uh, behalf of another of a rights holder of another company, and that's that's very different from governmental regulation restricting speech in certain venues. And it it really goes down to this core question, Heaney, of how this stuff is going to operate over the long term. And there's this this really fundamental question uh, whether. Such a thing as a public space can exist in VR where people can interact with one another without a third-party overlord out there moderating the interaction in that space. Like, we have police in the real world, and we have public spaces where you have to get permits sometimes to speak. But also, there's plenty of places where you don't have to seek those permits. And there's lots of laws and legal precedents going back hundreds of years to govern who can say what, when, and where. You, you can't scream fire in a crowded theater is one of the examples going back a very long time. This is all just me asking, how, how is this going to evolve past these, these houses, these individual houses where each company has to moderate what's going on in their space. Is there such a thing as public space in VR? 
You mentioned the real world analogy of police, but I think one of the another analogy I would make, which is maybe more appropriate, is the idea of a bouncer in a bar or a club. You have this question of how in real life do we manage the idea of bringing people together in public spaces and stopping them from kind of harassing each other or doing inappropriate things. And in many cases, that's what a bouncer is for. And obviously you have moderators in spaces like Altspace. And Altspace was actually criticized by many in the VR community for years for being for having such strong moderation where they would have people who are paid to sit in those public spaces and kick or ban people who are causing trouble. Now, the, the big question there is, is that scalable? Can you take that idea and make it work when there are millions of people every day accessing these pu public VR spaces in the future, if that ever does become a thing? That's a good question. And I think that a lot of these big tech companies would love us to believe the answer is no, because they want to keep their operational costs as low as possible. And the idea of hiring all of these moderators to be active all the time terrifies probably their chief financial officers, the idea of actually putting that expenditure in. But I think there's an argument to be made that for public spaces, and again, I want to be crystal clear that we are only talking about public spaces, not private spaces, public open town hall style spaces, that that is a cost of doing business that is just necessary. Because how often do you really see a completely kind of public hub space in a video game that has voice chat not degraded into kind of, you know, 2007 Xbox Live after a while when the wrong people are there, some kids looking to cause trouble show up. And there are lots of times where you're in a public space like this and nothing bad like that does happen, but it only takes one or two people to completely ruin it for everyone else. And if that's someone's first experience of social VR, going into one of these spaces and being harassed or insulted or attacked, that's going to make sure that they never visit something like that again, or at least not for years or months until things have radically changed. So I would have much preferred to see Microsoft invest more heavily in moderation, but it's understandable why they would just take this kind of complete kill approach when it's going to be hard for them to justify the idea of paying more moderators as this platform gets bigger and bigger. That's a really interesting explanation because we have seen a very recent history of that at Facebook where Mark Zuckerberg set out a goal of hiring so many moderators, thousands of them, as I recall, in order to moderate more effectively their their content going through their traditional feeds, all the misinformation that goes through all those feeds and training their AIs to better catch those those things going forward. And how does that expand into VR? Like is virtual bouncers a is being a virtual bouncer a job in the future? A, a, a job with thousands of people employed across the world is going to be a really interesting question to see if we have that. Yeah, I, Zuckerberg definitely has hired a lot of moderators for Facebook and Instagram, but a lot of these are actually done through contracted companies where they are not given sufficient training that they're needed and they're paid a very low wage, so they don't really have much of an incentive to really do an excellent job there. And it's still a very small amount of moderator to user ratio. And that's one of the reasons why these companies are making billions of dollars of profit, because they keep their costs as low as possible. And I think people, both on the traditional 2D platforms like Facebook and Instagram and in the metaverse, I think we need to ask these companies to spend a little bit more on moderation if we want safe public spaces. But again, I want to be crystal clear that this is only for public spaces. We're not talking about these companies interfering in your private conversations or your kind of you and your friends sitting around in a virtual room playing cards or watching content together. This is solely for these public open spaces that these companies are trying to push as an example of what the metaverse makes possible, but they don't want to invest in the cost is, is my view here. Mm. Yeah, I, I was in one of the Horizon Worlds and they did a, a vote kick ban thing where there was someone in the room that must have been annoying someone else in the room and I got a pop-up on my screen. I had no idea what the interaction was. I didn't know either of the people like requesting the ban or being targeted for banning and I just saw this pop-up and I hit no because I, I had no idea what the interaction was. But that is obviously another way for communities or rooms to self-manage it, it's already in existence in plenty of multiplayer games across the world where the person who's trolling or messing up the gameplay gets vote kicked out of the thing but again that gets misused all the time too by people coming together just to get rid of a viewpoint they really don't like rather than someone who legitimately needs to be kicked from a space 
But let's move on to the next news. All right. And since it's kind of related to this, uh, so Horizon Worlds and Venues hit 300,000 monthly active users. This is the first number that we've actually heard in recent memory. I think there's a number many years ago about Gear VR where Mark Zuckerberg came out and said that there were, I think, a million people using VR each month very early on when they were selling basically Gear VRs for free. So they were, do count that as a sale was one of the debates we had when you get the headset for free, does that count as a, a, a sale? And at the time, a million people sounded like a very large number. But in truth, a lot of those headsets just never got used again. They went into a dust pile and they're sitting in garbage bins and back in closets all over the world. Is this any different with Horizon Worlds here in 2022, Heaney? So yeah, this 300,000 figure, the problem with it, and a lot of people have pointed this out, and we pointed this out as well, is that they haven't decoupled it between Horizon Worlds and Horizon Venues. And these are actually very, very different apps. So I don't think we can actually make very many meaningful statements about this until we get a distinct figure for Worlds. Because Venues is one of those things where they're promoting these concerts and these sports games all the time. And someone might decide to kind of quickly drop into the Foo Fighters concert or they might drop into an NBA game. And does that person really count as a monthly active user? I don't think so. And I don't think it makes for very useful comparisons to Horizon Worlds, which is the one that faces the most competition from platforms like Rec Room and VR Chat and Altspace in its own way. So... I guess Facebook or Meta had to release this figure because there's this kind of this kind of skepticism from their shareholders and their investors and they want they need some kind of number to build on so that they can then in the future talk about their growth relative to the current number. Mm-hmm. But it's just so disappointing that they weren't going to decouple these two statistics because it really makes analysis fairly meaningless. That's a very interesting way of of putting it, Heaney. And I think of the path forward. We've got a lot of people in our comments. One of our first comments today back at the top of our thread was asking about whether Horizon Worlds was going to come to the EU. And that's obviously going to be up to Meta and their timeline for expansion across multiple sort of regions and sort of things like data management in those regions and how to handle all those things. So it's going to be very much up to them when they roll out this platform across those extra places. But to your point, Heaney, things like... Do do you think this 300,000 number came before the Christmas rush? Or are they quoting a number that's happening right after? Because I feel like, to to your point, if they had taken this 300,000 number from before all those people bought Quest 2s and opened Quest 2s at Christmas, then they have all that rush of new people after Christmas to refer to the next time they update these numbers. Then there's things like adding a 2D screen version that will add just uh, another order of magnitude or more, more users to this group. And then there's the global rollout. So there's like three very easy, not very easy levers, three levers that they can pull to dramatically upgrade the number of people that they report using using the service. So it's it's almost like a blue sky limit to them that they can achieve over the long term. But again, we are going to have to pay really close attention to VR chat and rec room to see how they scale in comparison to these. And I think I'm going to throw up this uh, image from Guy Godin, the creator of Virtual Desktop. So we posted this article, and then Guy made this comment. I don't know if Guy is in our comments. Uh, He's very often in our comments. Made this comment on Twitter saying, quote, Virtual Desktop is a paid app. It requires a PC. It didn't have a Super Bowl ad or host a Foo Fighters concert and has reached that number in 2021 on Quest alone. Just saying. The thing that gets me about that is as as." As amazing, as clear as this presents what Guy's platform represents for him, like how many people he's able to reach, it also points out that 30% of every sale that Guy made on this platform went to Meta as well. So even though Meta Meta's number here may be pretty small when put in the scale of 
everything else Guy is doing and other platforms are doing. I'll throw up another image here. So here's Darshan, the head of Big Screen, uh, saying something very similar. So he also saw this article and said, quote, just realized that Big Screen VR is significantly larger than Horizon Worlds and Horizon Venues combined. Big Screen is a unique middle ground between social VR app and utility app and just quietly growing in our corner over here. I think that's those are both really interesting comments. But what I'm getting at here is both of these individuals and both of their apps, both of their platforms, are inextricably tied to Meta. And there's another layer of Meta's attempts to be dominant in this area that's completely separate from what we're seeing with Horizon Worlds. So there's like a, a multi-pronged effort to dominate the VR space here, isn't there, Heaney? Yeah, and I think obviously we've heard... Uh, big screen here and virtual desktop talk about how they're bigger than horizon and venues and worlds combined but we actually have a specific number from rec room which is what i was going to point out that they have north of 1 million vr users alone and anyone who uses rec room will know that it's also available on platforms like mobile and xbox so that's millions more so obviously horizon worlds has just launched a few months ago i think their figure is from january because they talked about sorry alex heath from the verge talked about how this was a 10x increase from the last three months which is when worlds launched publicly in north america but it's obviously still got a long way to go i think any kind of analysis and comparison at this at this early in the game is fairly pointless both because that figure is combined and because that these Horizon apps have just launched and they're only available in the United States and Canada. We need to see what happens when these apps have been out for a longer time. We need to see what happens when they're available globally. And we need to make see what happens, as you say, when we're not in a holiday season, when people have just purchased their Quest. And further than that, we need to see how the numbers drop off over time because a lot of platforms, uh, new tech software platforms, start off with quite a high user base. But if they're not given a reason to stick around, then that retention is going to drop off very quickly over time. And that is the big question with these platforms. It isn't, can you make something cool that people want to try at one time? It's, can you make something that people want to come back and back and back to? And Rec Room seemed to have done that. VRChat seemed to have done that. To a lesser extent, Altspace has done that with its own kind of event system. And they find a niche there that is different than those two main apps, but still they have people coming back constantly. Can Meta make Horizon appealing enough? Or more accurately, can Meta get the right creators into Horizon to make it appealing enough to get people to keep coming back and give them useful things that they actually want to do? That's the open question here. And I really hope that we get a continued update on these figures and this isn't the last time we ever hear about it. And I really hope that we get a decoupled user figure for Worlds. But one of the public things that we can look at is in the Quest, in the Oculus app, you can actually see the most played titles, the most played games, and you can watch it as new multiplayer games kind of emerge up in the top and drop down over time. And you can see which ones are sticky, like Population 1, for example, is always up there, even uh, after being on the platform for years now. So that's what we're going to have to watch. But again, I'm just so frustrated that we don't have a better way to kind of monitor these figures because it's something that... We want to know, but it's just not something we have public access to. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of comments here. So OPZAR mentioning that Meta just has a stigma attached to it. People And many commenters are just pointing out how people just want to hate on Meta and Facebook as a general, or any major tech company, as just a general resistance to control, dominance, fear over losing some kind of freedom down the line because all these uh, companies have such control and james laughlin is bringing up that the fact that horizon is like just barely out in this public way so is it even worth discussing at this point and the thing i think that i want to i want to like just leave us with is if we get these numbers i'm you know th this came right on the heels of facebook saying that their their total user numbers didn't grow for the first time Ever, right? You, you had that chart up here where there's just this minuscule dip in recent memory. The problem I have with all of that is the only data we have going back decades now 
is all for for the success of Facebook's platform is from Facebook itself. They they self-report everything. And obviously there there could be issues like they're not going to um there's risk if they lie openly in getting SEC type regulation against them um if they if they aren't upfront about their numbers but there is there has been this thread of constant criticism underlying Facebook's growth over the years that they come out all the time and say we're growing we're growing we're growing we're growing and you never see a dip in that and what what I think we we're set up for here is Facebook to repeat that, Meta to repeat that here with their Horizon numbers, and just to give us an endless uh, pitch that they are growing. And when all the data is coming from Facebook itself, they can kind of determine how they de- how these statistics are reported. And I, I think there's always going to be a, a level of skepticism, at least from me, going forward because of that history. Do, do you agree with any of that, Heaney? I mean, I agree in in general that obviously if it's coming from outside an earnings call, then I would be skeptical. But within an earnings call, to to lie on an earnings call is extremely serious. It's not just the kind of the detachment from corporate liability that you get from being in in a public company does not apply if you lie on an earnings call. So if we have them giving a figure in an earnings call, I'm going to believe it because they would literally be putting themselves up to the potential of jail time. The executives themselves, if they lie about a statistic in an earnings call or knowingly lie would be the better phrase. The other thing is you can't fake revenue. So if they were to fake their user numbers, then their average revenue per user would go down. But it's not. It's increasing over time. So obviously, it's we're probably a few years out from actually getting monetization into Horizon Worlds so that creators can actually directly do things like offer ticketed events or kind of sell virtual items. But that's the point where we can get really reliable figures because as a public company, they're going to have to report that revenue and there's effectively no way they can lie about it. Yeah, I'm seeing in the comments the mention of streaming and video streaming being one of the things that blown up over the last couple of years where Facebook kind of, there's there's a chicken and the egg thing, I guess is what I'm getting at with some of these things where if Facebook says this is a trend, there are a lot of people out there that will go and try to profit off that trend. And I think the example that that specifically is being referred to there is this shift from written content to video content being pushed through Facebook. And that that served Facebook in a lot of ways because uh, you can put multiple ads on on a video and but there's this thing where like lots of organizations closed up jobs and opened up new jobs in video because Facebook said this trend was happening. And I think that's the, the the larger thing that I'm sort of expecting to happen here, where Facebook has kind of an open path ahead of it where they can just year after year hit this drum that VR is growing larger than you ever possibly imagined, and so is Horizon Worlds. And we'll, I guess we'll just see how that plays out over the, the next few years. I want to say thank you again to our sponsor, Les Mills Body Combat, which brings the Body Camp Combat experience to your VR headset with an extensive workout portfolio, coaching, mechanics, and different intensities to choose from. You can get it on the Oculus Store today. Click the link in the description. All right. We've only got a couple more pieces of news here to get into. If you've got any comments or questions, leave them down below. I'll try to get to them before the end of the show. And uh, this next one, Heaney, is a really interesting one to me. There is a $2,700 Linux standalone headset with an Intel i7 chip available for pre-order. It's called Simula One. It's a standalone headset running a VR version of Linux on an Intel chip. It's got color cameras for hand tracking and pass-through. Pre-orders are available for that crazy number of $2,699. And there is, quote, no earlier than Q4 shipping target. Uh, these people were originally going to go to Kickstarter and they changed things to a pre-order system. But let's just get straight to the most important thing, I think, for our, for our viewers out there. What are the risks here for people who pre-order this device? So the risks are very similar as to when, if you were backing a Kickstarter, Simula say that the reason that they have not gone for Kickstarter here is that the 5% fee that you pay on Kickstarter, I think it's 5%, something around that, 
isn't very significant if you're selling a $200 product, but this is a $2,700 product. So they can actually save a lot of money that they can pass on to the buyer by not going through Kickstarter. The risk is obviously that this is a startup company that has never shipped a consumer product at scale. They have talked about the fact that they have people on their team who have shipped consumer electronics in the past, but that's a completely different thing to doing it in a startup. They are saying that within one week of placing your pre-order, you can cancel. But after that, you cannot cancel unless, and again, this isn't very clearly stated in their pre-order agreement, but their pre-order agreement seems to suggest that they guarantee delivery by the end of 2023, the end of next year. So if I'm reading that pre-order agreement right, if it gets to the end of 2023 and you have not received the headset, at that point, you can get a refund. But obviously, there's been situations in the past where a company is simply financially unable to provide that refund. So I would treat this not like a pre-order for a new iPhone or something. I would treat this like a Kickstarter project that you're backing because you want it to come to life and you very much so hope that they can deliver to you on a reasonable time frame. So in other words, if we were going to make a recommendation for our readers, hope for a refund if they don't deliver, but don't expect one, I, I think would well, I, be... I think yeah. don't expect one is going a little bit too far. I would say be aware that there is a possibility that you wouldn't get one. And again, that's I, I think it's... I've been watching this team's progress as they've been kind of talking about building this thing, as they were building prototypes. We were eagerly awaiting the Kickstarter before they, at the very last minute, decided to go with their own pre-order system. I think these people are genuine. I don't think this is a scam. I don't think this is something that they're trying to make a quick buck off. These are people who really care about trying to make a VR PC. So I should talk about what this product really is. This is not a gaming-focused Quest competitor. This is not designed to be anything like that. This is designed to be a productivity machine. It's essentially a Linux laptop with infinite screens. A Linux laptop where you can sit down anywhere, attach a Bluetooth keyboard, and have six monitors and kind of do this infinite workspace idea that VR has been promising. And this thing has higher resolution displays than almost any headset on the market except for the Vario Aero. This is just slightly higher resolution than the Vive Pro 2. It has a high-end laptop i7 chip, 16 gigs of RAM, you know, one a one terabyte proper MBME SSD. This is not a smartphone in a headset like Quest 2. This is a high-end laptop in a headset. This thing has the performance to do multitasking, to really give you that a dozen virtual monitors that you're working on full desktop applications on, because this is a, a PC level i7 chip. This is not a mobile chip. So this is a, it's a real product. It could have real value to a very small percentage of people, but this is not a mass market product. This is not something that they're hoping to ship millions of. This is a $2,700 Linux workstation. And for the people who love to run Linux, who love to kind of have all of their software be either open source or close to open source, who like to kind of take things to the furthest when it comes to customizing every element of the software they're using, and people who do things like programming and Linux and they develop software or even hacking on Linux, this is a product that could be appealing to them, but it is a very niche. It's a niche within a niche. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of our comments really honing in on that and understanding exactly what you're talking about. The thing I, we, we got into this, Heaney, as you were working on this piece to really understand what's going on here, because my last experience with a device like this was Intel's alloy prototype. And I tried a very early version of somewhat the same idea that it's, it's an Intel class chip inside of a, of a headset. And I remember going, I think it was uh, CES one year, I went and tried this demo and there was just an enormous amount of drift in the tracking system from one place to another. And I, I think I even remember it being not completely silent. Um, all I can think of when you describe this is how unoptimized this might be, like how like how bad of an experience it could be if 
the tracking and the rendering and all those things aren't performant. What, why would I have any expectation that this is going to run in a in an efficient way, Heaney? Well, again, they, they have a very high-end processor on here. This thing is, I think, two or three times as powerful as the processor in the Quest 2. They're building on Linux, which is itself a very highly optimized OS, because when something's open source, over the years, you get the best ideas and the kind of most scrutiny into into the core of how these systems work. Linux has been out for decades now. It's something that has been built on by some of the best minds in programming, simply because it is open source and because anyone can contribute. Whereas sometimes a lot of the lack of performance optimization in you know system software is simply because it's this closed source thing that was worked on seriously for a few years inside some company by a small team and it never really got that outside scrutiny this os similar os which is it's a a linux distro that's designed to run in vr and give you these kind of infinite monitor situation is available now it is it's not some sort of vaporware you can actually run this on steam vr on linux if you're using something like a htc vive this headset can actually be used in a tethered mode so if you decide that you do want to do some gaming on it and you, you're not just kind of using this Linux situation, you can flick it into tethered mode and it will act just like a Steam VR headset for your existing gaming PC. So, I mean, these days, it's it's strange how quickly inside-out tracking went from an intractable problem to something that almost any company can pull off now just because that computer vision expertise and the kind of knowledge of... in Machine learning is expanded out and rippled out from these companies where it was originally developed and is just available in all sorts of different products now. You can get vacuum cleaners now that have a few cameras on them that run high quality simultaneous location and mapping, which is something sounded science fiction a few years ago. So I don't think when it comes to things like tracking, there should be an issue here because they have enough performance and they have looking at the people on their team they do seem to have people who have expertise in this that's not the kind of thing i would worry about i would really worry about what is the user experience going to be here how intuitive is this going to be what kind of compatibility issues are you going to have with more advanced software when you're trying to bring it in anyone who's kind of tried to use linux for a few months as your default machine or even for a few days or weeks will know just how much of a nightmare it can be at the worst of times but I expect anyone who's going to fork down $2,700 for a Linux headset like this is going to be someone who eats, breathes, and sleeps Linux and dreams about (laughs) Linux when they fall asleep. So I don't think that should be an issue because it seems like because this is such a niche, it will kind of be self-selecting for the people who are more than understanding of the kind of issues you would expect to see in a system like this. Mm. And I'm really curious, there's a lot of people commenting in, about sort of the timeline that this device will get out, and there's people talking about what Valve is doing with uh, SteamOS and how that could maybe be related to this sort of thing. Like, if we actually get a standalone out of Valve, could you run the Simula OS on it is one of those things that we want to see going forward. The, or, or that, I mean, that's the core question here, Heaney, is what is the advantage of a Linux-based VR headset for those people that aren't invested in Linux to begin with, is there, I, I, I know a lot of tech thinkers out there, a lot of people who watch this industry, that's one of their resistant, one of the reasons they're resistant to Meta and Apple is this like forced login or account tying system. They want a little bit of freedom that it just makes the whole industry a non starter for them. But at the end of the day, what are the advantages of having that open route? So yeah, as you say, the kind of esoteric advantages are the freedom and the ability to kind of customize it and run whatever software you want, however you want, without the approval of some sort of corporation. But the more practical advantage of this thing, because it has an x86 processor and because it's running a full desktop OS, is that you can run full desktop software. This is not a Quest 2 where you can only run web apps and Android apps. You can run any full PC software that runs on Linux, including the IDEs that people use to build real software for when they're programming, including the video editors. There are some of some of the most popular video editors are available on Linux, and some software like uh, computer-aided design software, 3D modeling software. There are real practical productivity tools that are available on Linux that simply are not possible in an Android app, or at least no one has really done that in an Android app or a web app. 
And so if you're someone who uses that kind of software and you want to have this infinite workspace in front of you instead of being restricted to a little 13-inch screen on your laptop, that's the pitch here. And again, it, it has to be said over and over again, it is such a niche within a niche, but that's fine. Other industries and technology have niche products for a, for, for power users. We're getting to the stage now where VR can have niche products for power users, where that's where the, the overall market and the mainstream market driven by Quest 2 is big enough that there can be these sub-markets as well. And I would say 99% of people watching this, maybe even 99.9% of people watching this, will have <laughs> absolutely no interest in ever really putting down $2,700 for something like this. But it's not for them. And the, the people who will, the people who do want this, are going to be overjoyed that they can get this because to them, the Quest 2 is a toy. There's people who just aren't interested in gaming and they aren't interested in running a few web apps and Android apps. They want a real productivity machine running a real desktop OS that they can do real projects on and that's who this is for and to a lot of our commenters in that discussion that's going on there is there's some debate and and we kind of expect if apple follows through on its headset and then the cambria headset that's announced by meta when it gets named and all those things could be competing for this class of device and those use cases that you're specifically mentioning so as soon as those devices are on market this thing that the, the appeal of this might shift considerably, even though it's still going to have that base of people who really need and want an open system, GitHub, that they can go out and, and change. So, All right, so let's get come... into our last few subjects here. And well, just gonna, reminder just for our audience that. out there. Sorry, what was can, that, Heen? Can you hear me? I was just going to say, I was going to bring the Apple thing as a really interesting point to make. I think we should kind of linger on that for a second, because I think it's extremely unlikely that Meta's Project Cambria will be able to meaningfully compete with something like this simply because it's still on that Android base and they're still using these smartphone tier processors. But it's important to point out that the rumor suggests that Apple's headset may have a full PC level chip, the same kind of chip that they put in their MacBooks. And if that's true, there's a potential that Apple could let you run full Mac apps on their headset. And if that is the case, then yeah, there is going to be a much smaller market for this among the people who are looking for a headset that is capable of running full PC quality apps. But obviously, as you say, it's still not going to get the people who are looking for open source because if anything, I would expect the Apple headset to be more locked down than Quest 2. Apple has None of Apple's major product launches in the past 20 years has there been a kind of open sideloadable software model that's been more locked down than their competitors in every instance so far. Mm. Just one little side comment here. I noticed this effort uses the term VR computer in a lot of their work, and I've heard that term sort of gaining popularity recently. So a VRC or a VRPC, but a VRC is is kind of, I'm liking that term a lot when I'm referring to a computer, a VR computer that stands on an, on its own and doesn't need anything external. We kind of do need a new term to refer to the standalones, and we've we've You've been using standalone and all-in-one for a couple of years now, but I think VR computer is going to win out pretty soon here as a way to refer to this new class of device that uh, you wear on your head and are able to do some a wide range of computing tasks. All right. Yeah, what I was saying there is get your questions in our comments so that we can try to get to them before the end of the show. We've only got a couple more topics to get into here. And the, the next one here is Nintendo. Nintendo is apparently interested in this so-called metaverse, that the term that's getting thrown around a lot, but only once the metaverse is ready. So the the, the language I hear with this is the, a Nintendo approach to the metaverse. What would that entail, Heaney? Have, have you actually tried Labo VR and... Do, are you a Nintendo fan at all? What would be Nintendo's approach to this market if they actually got into it? Yeah, I haven't tried Labo VR, but obviously I think I play Nintendo games. I enjoy their kind of niche of gaming. I think I'm going to cut straight to the chase and say and kind of talk about where I think Nintendo could enter this market in the longer term because I don't think that their hardware approach is going to really cut it here. Because something like a console, like a Switch, or even like the Wii before it, or even the GameCube, is a lot less of a technical challenge 
than something like a VR headset because there's just so many different technologies that have to come together. I really wonder if over time when VR does become a much larger market and Nintendo is looking to enter it, that Nintendo might become more of a software provider. And I know that could be a very wrong prediction because people were speculating for years that the mobile market would cause Nintendo to kind of become a software provider. And then they came out with a switch and went around that idea by saying, no, we'll give you a portable device instead of using your current portable device. And that strategy has worked phenomenally well for them. The Switch is sold unbelievably well. It's one of the highest selling consoles of all time. I just am very skeptical about whether their same approach to hardware will carry over to VR because mm. Nintendo's prided itself on being able to deliver a fun and compelling gaming experience on lower end hardware. But I think we're kind of in VR that's not something that's going to work as well. We're already kind of at the lower end with standalone headsets like Quest. And coming back to the conversation we were just having, as these headsets become more general purpose devices, as you're not just gaming on them, but you're able to do kind of social things. And even on Quest today, you can have three browser windows and a tracked keyboard and do a little bit of Chromebook-like productivity there. Nintendo, it doesn't seem like Nintendo is going to try and compete directly. And it doesn't even seem like they have the resources to do so. So I think... Either they will be an acquisition target for one of the bigger players or they will transition into a software-only system where all of their IPs are brought together in one kind of metaverse-like platform. But Mm. I could be completely wrong about that. Very, very interesting commentary there. Yeah, Nintendo is... Heaney sort of calling me out there a little bit because I am one of these watchers of Nintendo and I have been such a big fan of Nintendo over the years and yet their games were absent on my iPhone that I've had in my pocket for so many years. And then, of course, at some point, they did sort of get funded to make some iPhone-exclusive games, like that uh, one-touch Mario game where you just press the, the button to make Mario jump at the right time. And things like that, have they have dabbled in, in iOS, as one of our com- commenters pointed out. It's just, I remember sort of arguing they needed to build like a... Um, like a exactly what steam deck is for a phone but like these controllers you put onto a phone and you've lost i I basically argued you've lost this larger play for phones and you need to to, exactly what you said earlier heaney and i was wrong they they came out with the switch and had their exclusive approach to this handheld market and the thing that kind of gets me about that the thing I, i remember hearing from one of the big quotes is that there is no netflix there is no hulu there's no streaming video services that you can go get on a Switch. And plenty of people out there are going to go look at that and go, what, why would I want a Switch, right? Like without those that form of entertainment. But the point is that it differentiates what Switch is from the other platforms. You're going to go get a Switch if you want a portable gaming device with these properties that you can't get and these games that you can't get anywhere else, period, ever. And, but to your thing about sort of the software approach and the, the thing I've talked about previously on this show is that I want a pocket full of ROMs that I can play with you. I, I want, I, it would be amazing to me if we could have a two player game of Mario or anything else on the Nintendo system without any extra setup or work. And there's like, like, is that ever going to happen? And and I think it can only happen if they take that software approach you're talking about, right, Heaney? Well, I think it's interesting that a lot of people have been complaining that they're shutting down the eShop for the Wii U and one of the other consoles, and they still don't offer a like-for-like replacement. They don't even let you play the majority of their historical library on Switch today. So it will take a major kind of strategic shift in Nintendo to make something like that happen. But what we have seen in recent years is that Nintendo is willing to do a complete strategy shift if it's losing and it needs to, just like any good company that if it's going down the wrong path will kind of completely reverse itself because the Wii U was, I think it's, it's I can objectively say the Wii U was a failure. It was the lowest selling console in modern history and there were a lot of there's a lot of speculation before the switch was announced that nintendo basically had nowhere to go and there was no kind of 
strategy for it to take and had it just released another console box to directly compete with the playstation and the xbox i'm not sure it would have succeeded anywhere near as much as the switch but it was forced to kind of change this strategy and come out with a a handheld when no one else would but it's just so hard to think of the idea that yes you get a switch when you want to play these games but are people really going to get a whole separate Nintendo headset just to play Nintendo games, especially if Nintendo can't get the same core tech out? So surely in the long term, they have to become a software platform. And mm. it could be something that's extremely lucrative where, as you say, you could go into this virtual environment and rent or buy all of Nintendo's historical titles and play their own kind of ideas of VR games. I just don't see why it would have to be through hardware. Yeah, very interesting. I might say something a little sacrilegious here that I just a thought that occurred to me. But like, uh, Nintendo would be one of the few companies I would be interested in buying like a DRM'd game from as long as it worked on the vast majority of systems out there. And it almost makes me wonder about if Nintendo got into the whole blockchain NFT craze, whether they could actually have a market to stand on where other companies could not. Specifically for this thing I'm talking about with Yuhini, where I want to play I want to play all these old Nintendo games with with friends in VR. That's the dream. Like and that's that's exactly the dream almost that was sold by Meta over the Super Bowl, right? Is being able to get together with these friends who lost decades ago and do the fun, you know, new fun things with them. I I feel like Nintendo could has a market power there that almost no one else can match. Um, yeah, so th- th- there's very interesting things I would love to see out of Nintendo over the next couple of years if they really decided to to pursue it. Anything else there, Heaney, on that subject? Um, nothing that I can think of. It's, it's just, I would just maybe say that Nintendo is probably one of the hardest to make any kind of prediction or analysis of because... Like I said, they've just they've gone through so many strategy shifts and successfully pivoted so many times in the past few decades that I mean I would say I'm confident that they will find something that works for them from a business perspective, but what that ends up being, I have no idea truly. So yeah, I did think of one one extra subject there to get into of just Nintendo does have this history of using their back catalog in really creative ways like going back decades i recently went and bought a superboy for my um kit it's a third party um device i don't have an official super nintendo yet i'm, I'm on the hunt for uh, a vintage original super nintendo but no i went and bought one of those emulator machines and i got the superboy because my original game console the first one that i really had a connection to was the original game boy and I, 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 I burned into my brain the weight and heft of that device. I love it so darn much. And you could take the cartridge out of it, right? And put it into the Superboy cartridge and then put the Superboy cartridge into your Super Nintendo and play all of those portable games 30 years ago. And they've been, they've always had a really good history of making their devices backwards compatible Going back a couple of generations, I see a lot of people in our comments talking about GameCube, and there have been you can secret ports on the back of some of these devices for you to stick in older controllers and all this. And there's just so much love and install base for all of these devices. And that's all I'm getting at there, Heaney, is I would love to see some kind of an extension of that into this next phase of computing. Yeah, it would be great, but it's again, it really does come to those annoying legal drm issues and how the rights managed and nintendo that's the one thing nintendo does seem to be a bit slower on it was always it was slower to adopt online store purchases of games in the first place and kind of slower to get all of the xbox live style features and even with the switch that was only available through the app for the longest time until they finally added bluetooth audio so you know, yeah at the, at the same time they japan is such a technology rich company and they've got they, they've there's th- technologies that roll out in Japan decades before they make it to other places and things like I don't know I'm logging in to my Nintendo Switch online account using a QR code and that's super efficient but I remember doing that kind of before I could do that on some other systems and uh, 
things like that, like I, I'm again going back to the original Nintendo, the original link cord that you could wire one Game Boy to another Game Boy existing in like the 1980s is in a, a phenomenal demonstration of them looking forward in a really significant way. And um, yeah, I, I just hope to see what they, I can't wait to see what they do next. There's a, there's a, if you talk about a company that is well loved, it's hard to get more well loved than Nintendo. So we'll see what they do. And All right, our last news for today. Sorry, go ahead, Eni. I was just going to say a company that's so good at game design. I would love to see what kind of VR games they come up with. Obviously, we had Labo, but I mean on a proper VR system with full positional tracking and two track controllers. I think that kind of constraint and the kind of simplicity that room scale VR games offer would be Nintendo's. It would be such an opportunity for Nintendo to show off their fundamental understanding of game design because they're just so capable of delivering a fun and compelling and unique experience off the most basic hardware and constraints. And I think VR would be one of the perfect kind of mediums for Nintendo's design philosophy. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what they come up with when they eventually do enter the market, assuming they eventually do. All right, our last news for today is kind of a biggie. There's a hack that lets you play Spotify and Discord in the background on your MetaQuest. So Quest hackers have figured out how to run background apps with audio on Quest, such as Spotify and Discord. Those would probably be the two biggest that people will be looking forward to use. Give us some background here, Heaney, on who did this and what it means. Yeah, so this is this is available as part of Basti 564's Oculus tool. And we've reported on it before. It's the tool that lets you unlink your Facebook account from your Quest 2. Now, obviously, when you do that, you lose access to the store. You lose access to all store apps. And there's a lot of other restrictions there. So you're essentially turning your Quest 2 into a Facebook-free side quest machine. And obviously, we know that since then, Meta's announced that they're going to eventually remove the actual Facebook account requirement. So that tool becomes a little less useful. But it also lets you do things like disable the telemetry, the telemetry that sends data about which apps you use and how much you launch them and all the crash reports and things like that back to Meta. And some people aren't comfortable with that, just like some people weren't comfortable with all the telemetry that was put into Windows 10 when it launched because Windows 7 had you know very little to no remote telemetry like that. But the newest feature in this Oculus tool is, as Ian's just said, that you can enable Android apps to continue playing background audio even when you're in a VR app. So you can launch up Spotify and start a playlist or put Discord in the background in a call and jump into VR and you'll still have your music or your friends conversing with you. And this is something that is not possible on Quest 2 without this hack. It is not... It, there is multitasking for 2D apps in Oculus Home, as in you can have an Android app here and a browser window here and another browser window here or something like that. But you can't have applications running in the background in VR, nor can you kind of bring up Netflix and pin it to the corner yet. There's nothing like that on Quest. You can do that on Rift, but either just due to the fact that the software isn't ready or due to the fact that the Quest 2 only has six gigabytes of RAM, which isn't very much, that's not something you can do. But with this hack, you can. And I guess there's going to be a lot of people who find that useful because they want to, just like on PC, you want to be able to choose whether you're using Discord rather than just being forced through the Quest's party system. Just like you want to be able to put on Spotify instead of playing a game's music. So you can go into a game that you're not a huge fan of the audio design of, turn the music to zero and have your own Spotify playlist in the background. Yeah, and I'm seeing people in our comments on Akazi making the exact comment you just made that running things on a back in the background with a low RAM system always goes always bodes well. And that was a sarcastic comment from Onakazi, of course. But uh, there is that that obviously qu question about how this is going to affect system resources over the long term, right? You said you'd noticed no problems, but you think that's always going to be the case? So I think when it comes to just having audio in the background, it's not going to be a huge issue. Obviously, you will maybe see some performance drops in intensive VR apps and games because it is still running that background process. 
But it's when you start to get to kind of visual multitasking, if you wanted to have browser windows or Netflix open while you're inside a game, that's when the RAM would really start to be an issue. I didn't notice any massive change in performance. I didn't notice any change in performance at all when I was trying this. But obviously, this is not supported by Meta. This is this is a hack. So if you do experience low performance, you can't really blame Basti or Meta. It's just one of those things that this is a this is a mobile headset with a mobile chip and six gigs of RAM. It's not really designed for multitasking, but now it's possible if you really want to. Just as it always should be, if someone wants to run one of these apps in the background. The real big change here is Discord for me because it's it means that instead of being forced through the Quest 2's party voice chat system, you kind of get the choice of this. And this you couldn't just be Discord, you know, you could use Skype, you could use any Android app that will run on Quest 2. You can now have it in the background and have background audio. Mm. All right. Well, that's it for our news this week. So again, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you in the future. And Check us out next week and check out UploadVR.com for all the latest.